Hi, I'm Bill Thielman, co-host of BC Polytalk. And I'm Daniel Fontaine. And on this week's show, we have MLA uh, Todd Stone. He's the MLA for Kamloops South Thompson. He also is the opposition critic and deals with things like municipal affairs and housing. And Bill, we have talked a lot about municipal municipal affairs and housing over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, I expect that uh, you're going to be asking about uh, strata insurance uh, rates and as well as COVID and a whole bunch of other things. What's on your agenda for today? Well, I definitely want to talk to Todd Stone about how the COVID-19 crisis has changed his role as critic for municipal affairs and housing, because you've got, on the one hand, renters who uh, are getting a rental subsidy through the COVID-19 government program. Is it sufficient? There's been calls for it to be changed. And on the municipal side, we have cities like Vancouver, where Mayor Kennedy Stewart has said the the city might go broke, uh, asking for more funding. The province and the federal government have not come through so far. So those are both his critic areas. I want to see what he has to say about that. You know, we, we have talked about, again, this before, but it is a real delicate balance right now for opposition critics. It's very challenging to criticize anything without getting criticized yourself for making a critical statement. So it's he's really having to balance, uh, draw a, a fine line here. But it's so important in our democracy that, that critics um, actually still maintain their job and continue to uh, dissect government legislation, look at programs. And we've seen this time and time again over the last six to eight weeks where Opposition parties at various provincial levels, federal levels, have made recommendations to government and programs have actually improved as a result of it. So I actually think it's critical that the the critics remain uh, very active in their roles. Yeah, I would agree with that, although I have to say that the one glaring example of disharmony and discord that people are not cottoning to at all is the federal scene where we've seen some real nasty attacks on on some public officials who can't really defend themselves and that. So I, I think the BC Liberals, I'll give them credit. I think they've done a good job of trying to balance that. But as we come through and go into the economic recovery stage of the COVID-19 crisis, which is something else we want to wa- ask Todd Stone about, I, I think we'll see more sharp differences uh, being defined. And I think uh, maybe the gloves won't completely come off, but we're certainly going to see a lot more uh, combativeness, I think, from the parties in the legislature. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. I've lived in this province since 1989, and I cannot imagine an election campaign going into it where everybody is hugging each other and uh, <laughs> praising each other. I think I think we're going into the last uh, 16 months uh, before the next election, the campaign starts, and they will pivot, and they're going to have to pivot, the BC Liberals. And, and in fact, the Green Party, they, they've been absolutely... Uh, nowhere to be found. I haven't seen the, a Green Party uh, anyone in the last six to eight weeks. So, and it is a struggle to get attention when you've got something like a pandemic. But nonetheless, there's an election coming up, and if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. You know, for voters, they're going to need to to hear and, and see you if they're going to vote for you. Well, let's hear and see from Todd Stone. Sounds good. BC Polytalk thanks Harbor Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. Dodd Stone, welcome to BC Polytox. Oh, it's great to be here, Bill. Well, it's great to have anyone here on the show these days. So we're really happy that you're here and, and Daniel's here. I'm here. We're all looking for something to do. Listen, uh, we have a lot of topics to talk about. I wanted to ask you first, though, uh, you're the critic for housing and municipal affairs. How has COVID-19 changed your role as the critic uh, with all the files that you have to look at from there? Well, I think like uh, like all MLAs, we, we wear multiple hats. And uh, certainly as an opposition critic, uh, I have continued to stay on top of uh, the, uh, the government's uh, uh, plans and the progress they're making against those plans as related to housing. 
uh, and municipal affairs. So there's a wide range of issues there, uh, whether you're uh, talking about affordable housing, uh, the uh, obviously the response uh, from a housing perspective uh, to the, the COVID pandemic that we're in the middle of uh, has, has taken uh, some somewhat uh, uh, priority. Um, there's lots of issues on the municipal affairs side, property tax uh, deferments and, and so forth, uh, uh, transit uh, funding in communities. Uh, so I'm, I've been staying on top of all of that the best that I can. But the, the other hat that we all wear as MLAs is you know, we're, we're elected first and foremost to represent the people in our respective constituencies. And so uh, while I've been working remote uh, uh, at home here, uh, along with my staff working in their homes, we've been doing uh, first and foremost everything we possibly can to support uh, the people of Kamloops and the surrounding area uh, as uh, they've, they've all been grappling with the, the challenges of, of COVID. Yeah. And just related to that, uh, before I switch over to Daniel, um, we've had a renter's credit for people who have been thrown out of work, uh, jobless because of the COVID-19 crisis. What's your analysis of the renter's credit and how well it's working and, and should it be increased? Well, uh, first off, let me say that I think we universally all agree that a, 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 some form of rental assistance was absolutely required. Uh, when you have uh, the, 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 the mass number of people that have been uh, temporarily laid off, in some cases, uh, uh, unfortunately, permanently uh, laid off, uh, when you have the, the thousands of businesses that have uh, either closed their doors temporarily or have uh, reduced their operations, uh, there was no question that there was going to uh, to be a big gap uh, first on April first uh, uh, rent day then and and now uh, on uh, for for May first and I think we will we will see the same issue moving forward and so I I think we're all appreciative that the federal and provincial governments came to to the table um, uh, to to support you know rent uh, provide rent relief both residentially and commercially uh, recently on the on the residential side as you as you ask. Um, you know, I think our, our main uh, concerns that we're hearing about the, uh, the temporary rental supplement uh, is uh, the eligibility requirements have left a, a bunch of people uh, out of uh, the mix and they're not receiving the credit. There's, uh, uh, I think, concern around uh, the amount of the credit. It, it was somewhat watered down. Uh, originally, uh, the expectation was set that the credit would be uh, in the form of a $500 uh, per renter. Uh, amount and when it was announced, it, it, it turned into three hundred dollars uh, if uh, you have no dependents and five hundred if you do have dependents. Uh, the the amount of time that it's available for uh, April, May, and June, uh, we're hearing concerns that that might not be enough uh, a time that it, it might need to be extended. And uh, you know, last but not least, I think there is uh, there's there's a fair bit of confusion that still uh, is is in is in play as to with 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 some renters as to whether or not they even have to pay rent um, and whether the rent will be if they don't pay it now will they have to pay it in the future um, let's not forget landlords in this in this equation uh, the vast majority of landlords in British Columbia are mom and pops they're not the big huge companies that we often immediately think of they're they're uh, you know, mom and pops who have one or two units and those units are often a mortgage helper for, for them personally. Uh, and so they have mortgage obligations uh, to, to meet as well. So, uh, so we're, we're monitoring this, uh, this closely. Um, a landlord BC just came out recently and said, uh, in their uh, opinion, uh, the supplement is not enough. It should be increased to uh, 750 for those who don't have dependents and 1,000 uh, per month for those who do. And uh, that the, the uh, eligibility requirements should be should be broadened. Uh, the income test should be thrown out the window, and uh, and um, it, the the benefit should be extended to uh, uh, through to the end of uh, August 2020. So, again, we're going to monitor this uh, very very closely as as we move uh, uh, forward.
So Todd, these are really interesting times and Bill and I have been talking about this on the show around how opposition critics who are supposed to criticize government, that's what you're paid to do or part of your job is to criticize, um, are finding that uh, they're awfully silent these days. We see everybody kind of hugging and holding hands and working together, which is good. I think that's a good thing that we're actually working together. But how challenging has it been for you as a, as a critic to be able to actually say some of the things you're saying now without the public coming at you and saying, hey, you shouldn't criticize the government, just support them. If you could maybe comment uh, on that, what some of the challenges are when you're a critic in a time when people maybe don't want to hear criticism. Well, it's a very, very good point. And uh, you know, I want to I want to say as emphatically as I can, uh, I am as proud and as appreciative of the the efforts of Dr. Bonnie Henry and her uh, public health team. Uh, who have steered us through this uh, this this pandemic? Uh, I have appreciated uh, the efforts of Adrian Dix uh, and and his colleagues, uh, and I think uh, e there's been a, a fairly uniform uh, nonpartisan response to uh, uh, to 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 this from from all parties in British Columbia. On March 23rd, uh, uh, you know, a scaled down number of MLAs from all parties went into that legislature and unanimously approved uh, an emergency supply bill uh, to to get province through uh, this this tough time uh, that being said uh, the the role of opposition is is uh, is a critical one and there is uh, an important element of accountability that uh, needs to continue um, not just through through the rest of, of this pandemic but but after the fact and so you're going to probably hear us uh, in the opposition increasingly um, uh, in a very respectful very uh, constructive manner uh, express to government what we're hearing from our constituents, uh, whether it's that, uh, that that home builder who called me yesterday who said, uh, I am uh, about to, to move forward with phase three of my, my project. It's 29 lots. I need the financing uh, for to put the services in. He's never had a problem with this ever before. This is a guy who's got great credit by all accounts. Uh, and his bank sent him a letter yesterday uh, morning saying, um, we are not uh, able to advance the loan uh, for this next project because uh, the BC government hasn't yet provided a clear signal uh, as to when and how the economy will, will reopen, how society will reopen. So uh, I, I think we're, we need to continue to, to trust the input and the advice of, of Bonnie Henry and, and, her, and her public health colleagues, for sure. We want to reopen society in a safe and responsible manner. But we do need to, a plan from government. We do need uh, 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 the government to step up now and with its judgment uh, begin to, to implement uh, components of that plan to reopen society and reopen the economy. And to the extent that, uh, that the government continues to announce programs, continues to spend taxpayers' dollars, uh, we continue to hear concerns uh, about gaps and challenges of people uh, falling through the cracks, not to mention uh, the progress that we want to see uh, on, on the economy uh, and a focus on reopening the, uh, the economy. We're going to continue uh, to ask uh, a tougher and, and sharper questions, I think, uh, all the while respecting the, the ongoing uh, and very important work of the public health community uh, to keep British Columbians safe. Well, Todd, if you ever need any advice on opposition, my parties are party is an expert at that. Uh, they've spent many years honing their skills <laughs> in opposition. So uh, I wanted to move on to something you mentioned at the beginning, which is the situation, the other portfolio uh, part of your 
of your critic role is uh, that of municipalities. We've seen uh, Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart say that the city could go bust. Uh, we've seen other municipalities say that they're facing severe financial pitfalls uh, due to the, li the likelihood of a lot of people not being able to pay their property tax. What does the BC Liberal Party feel should be done about municipalities? Well, there's there's two things that I would I would touch on uh, on that uh, question. One is uh, there there is no question that local governments uh, are doing as much heavy lifting as they possibly can uh, with their budgets. Uh, they are uh, for the most part uh, across British Columbia. They they have uh, they have reduced their costs. They have um, unfortunately had to engage uh, in in some some temporary layoffs, uh, typically for seasonal workers and, and part time positions and and positions that uh, you know might uh, might have been in a rec center or you know some some type of public facility that's now that's now temporarily closed. Um, I've talked to mayors and councillors all over the province who have um, passed a, a bylaws to. Uh, provide the authorization to to access their contingency reserves if they need to. Some of them have, have gone ahead and have done that. Um, others uh, uh, recognizing the impact uh, of uh, property tax increases on the pocketbooks of British Columbians have uh, have deferred uh, uh, increases in utility fees and property taxes. Uh, some have moved out the um, uh, the the, the uh, imposition of penalties. Uh, and uh, interest on the non-payment of property taxes uh, for a number of months, uh, some even to the end of the year. So they're all doing their best to try and, and grapple with um, the very real impacts to, to uh, communities. Remember, they, you know, cash flow is important there too. It, uh, the, the local governments have very limited uh, uh, so, uh, sources of revenue. Uh, they have a, a legislative requirement to balance their budget and, and you know, many of the mayors and councillors I talk to have a deep uh, respect for their local taxpayer and want to minimize the increase in taxes, particularly during COVID. What's interesting is is neither the the provincial or the federal governments have have really stepped up uh, in a, in a big way, and maybe maybe they're playing chicken with one another uh, to see who who does it first. Um, but neither of them have really stepped up to the plate with a with a program of supports directly focused. Uh, on local governments, and and uh, the longer this goes on, the more important that uh, that that is going to be. The other piece I would touch on would be TransLink uh, in Metro Vancouver and BC Transit across the rest of the province. Uh, you know, when you hear of uh, a a a seventy five percent reduction in in service, uh, when when you hear of a of, of an equivalent reduction in the fare box, uh, and uh, uh, what is it, $75 million a month that I think TransLink is, uh, is losing at the moment? Um, if, if we want uh, to, to ensure we've got viable uh, uh, tran transit uh, there for us uh, it, well into the future, not just when this, this pandemic is over, but well in the future, uh, provincial and federal governments need to get off their butts and, uh, and, and step up to the plate and, and, and invest in uh, in uh, BC Transit uh, and, and TransLink in the Lower Mainland. So that's the other major uh, piece that I'm hearing uh, daily from uh, local governments right across the province. So Todd, um, uh, one of the things I've been talking about publicly is uh, back in, I think it was 0809 when we had the previous recession, I think it was your government, uh, BC Liberal government that implemented uh, some changes to the tax deferral program, which allowed for families that were facing financial hardship to access that program. Uh, any thoughts about putting forward some uh, constructive ideas like that to the government to consider? Because right now, there are a lot of families that are looking at paying these property taxes and the cities need the money. 
and the families are having a challenge paying those property taxes. Any thought about making recommendations to the provincial government to reinstate that and perhaps provide the same interest rate that they provide to seniors, which is, a, I think the the interest rate is about 1.9%. So there's no deferral or difference between uh, families and seniors, something that the Liberals are considering or recommending to the government? Uh, absolutely. Uh, there's, a, there's a few things going on here. Uh, as, as you know well, property taxes are due on the first bank holiday after July 1st, right? So for this year, it's July 2nd. Um, the, the, there have been lots of calls for local governments to defer property taxes. They technically can't do that without the leg legislative authority uh, to do so. And the act uh, that they're governed by is pretty rigid. Uh, but as I said earlier, what local governments can do, and many of them are, is they are deferring the the uh, the payment of interest and penalties that begin to uh, begin to come into play uh, if 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 a, a homeowner is uh, is is late in paying their property taxes on that uh, July second uh, deadline. Uh, so that that's happening. Uh, what we're what what I also think is worthy of consideration, uh, and and many mayors have suggested this to me as well, and and we've we've uh, you know we, we're advancing it to uh, to the BC government is uh, there are other other things that the province could do to actually step up and help alleviate the the, the property tax challenge here, uh, although all the while keeping everybody whole. Uh, one thing that the province could do, as you've pointed out, is is to expand the. Um, uh, the property def deferment program. At the at the at the moment, uh, you have to be 55 years or older, uh, or a surviving spouse, or a person with a disability. Um, why not look at at expanding that to uh, to inc inc include people that are, are are under you know significant financial distress as a result of uh, COVID-19? Um, I, I think that's a very worthy idea for consideration. The other other piece that uh, could make a big difference. Uh, remember that the number one cost in in most municipalities, um, when when you, you set aside uh, the staffing costs in a in a city hall itself, uh, is policing, uh, policing and fire and and, and emergency response. Uh, one thing that the province could do is is it could look at at uh, deferring payment or forgiving a portion of payment of, of say policing costs. Uh, that would, would, would represent a very significant uh, um, financial, um, you know, it would provide significant financial breathing space for, uh, for those municipalities in question. Uh, municipalities under 15,000 uh, population don't pay, um, uh, don't, don't, don't pay for their policing, but, but over 15,000 population they do on a graduated scale. Uh, so that's again something else very practical uh, that the the province uh, could do, and and it's it's among the the ideas that I think are very worthy of consideration. Uh, Todd, there's uh, so many different questions we could ask you on on COVID nineteen, but sort of moving forward uh, as we tape this on Friday uh, for publication on Monday, we hear the province will announce its kind of recovery plan of uh, returning BC's economy slowly back, uh, opening stores and things. What do the Liberals advise on how to proceed that way? Well, uh, obviously, first and foremost, to the center of, of the plan, and we fully expect that this will be the case, but but in the center of the plan uh, needs to be uh, the advice and ongoing recommendations of, of, uh, of the public health community, no question. But we'll be also looking for uh, whether or not the government is is incorporating into its into its thinking and its planning the advice from a broad range of, of experts. Uh, we we'll want to see uh, people that uh, have have real depth and in and understanding in the economy, uh, small business uh, uh, folks, uh, 
people that understand how what it's going to take to uh, to attract investment to British Columbia. Uh, you know, look at, at the end of the day, there there cannot be uh, an economic recovery unless uh, people are looked after in the in the immediate term. Um, there cannot be an economic recovery if uh, if we don't get small businesses uh, off off their uh, off their knees and onto their feet. Uh, there cannot be a recovery in, uh, if if we're not ensuring that uh, the, the 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 education and the training uh, pieces uh, are there for British Columbians. Uh, and uh, there has to be a plan for for as I said, attracting investment. Uh, that might 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 look at uh, might mean reducing some taxes. That might mean uh, looking at some uh, creative ways to reduce uh, uh, red tape and regulation and so forth. But we, uh, if we don't get small business up and if we don't uh, attract investment uh, to this province, uh, it's going to be awfully difficult to 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 envision uh, a a speedy recovery through this or a recovery that at least gets people back working uh, and able to pay their own bills. And and look at the end of the day, um, human beings are, are social creatures. We can't we can't be um, you know in self isolation for forever or for a very long period of time. Not that Dr. Bonnie Henry has said that, uh, but uh, we've got to uh, come come out of this uh, this plan next week with a kind of a dual approach. One that that respects the the safe and responsible reopening from a health perspective, but also recognizes. There is going to have to be a very thoughtful and significant plan uh, to bring our industries back, bring small business back, and get people into jobs. Todd, in the remaining time we have, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, switch topics a bit. I know we've got a lot to talk with you about COVID, but there are other issues, believe it or not, that British Columbians are, are actually grappling with. And one of those is strata insurance. I know you have brought forward a private member's bill. I know you've been very vocal on the concerns and expressing those concerns on behalf of countless British Columbians that are facing uh, astronomical uh, increases to their strata insurance. It was really, that issue was really beginning to ramp up and, and make the six o'clock news before COVID pandemic hit, but it's still there, it hasn't gone away. What's happening behind the scenes to help these families, uh, these people who own these condos who are facing costs that I can only imagine in a time of pandemic like Bill, I know Bill, uh, Bill Strata Insurance are going up and, and the same with us as well, our family. A lot of families I know uh, are dealing with that. What, what are the BC Liberals proposing and, and is it workable and, and what's, is there any progress report on that? Uh, sure. Uh, look, uh, there's 30,000 Strata corporations in British Columbia, uh, fully 50% of, of the residents of Metro Vancouver. So, you know, half of the 2.7 million people in, in your neck of the woods uh, live in some form of a Strata. Uh, and and uh, strata insurance costs uh, are, are skyrocketing, and and this this be began to emerge as a, as an issue, uh, sort of late in the fall of last year, and really ramped up uh, over the the holiday period and into uh, 2020. Uh, we're still hearing stories. Uh, I, I get emails uh, daily from different strata corporation uh, councils, uh, from individual strata owners in every community around the province. Uh, still reflecting stories of, of um, you know, one, one this morning, a 400% increase uh, in uh, the annual insurance premium uh, for a, a building that's only 10 years old in Kelowna. Uh, and no, no rationale, no, no uh, record of uh, significant water uh, damage claim recently or, or anything else, uh, just a, a huge increase in, in, in the insurance premium. Well, that, that also includes a significant uh, increase in, in the deductibles. Uh, which means that uh, the monthly fees that strata owners like the two of you 
uh, have to have to pay are, are going up in some cases by 100, 200. I've even heard $500 a month, um, not to mention one-time assessments uh, to do whatever work needs to be done um, to, uh, or sorry, one-time assessment to actually pay the the, the, the bill uh, in the immediate term. So um, big problem. I did propose a private member's bill. It was very modest. Uh, the, the, the three items in the bill were were really about uh, streamlining some some sections of the Strata Property Act to uh, uh, to better clarify the, uh, for example, who's responsible for what between the Strata owner and the Strata uh, Corporation, and make sure that the insurance coverages are much more uh, clarified as a result. Um, we also called for a water damage prevention program. Uh, in in the context of all of the money that has been announced in all of the very worthy programs up to this point, I I'm shocked. Uh, that the BC government has not announced uh, some help for strata uh, strata owners, uh, even if it was just in the form of a water damage prevention program or or something that uh, that 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 you know would begin a process of of, of applying some downward pressure on on strata insurance uh, costs. Um, so we're going to have a lot more to say about this. Uh, this is again one of those those issues that um, you know didn't whether there was COVID or not, uh, it, it's a huge issue impacting a lot of people. Uh, we're going to continue to refine uh, our approach to it and, and we'll have uh, uh, more, more, more details to, to share in, in the coming weeks. Well, if, if Daniel and I can agree on this one, Todd, we're hoping that you and Minister Selena Robinson can come to agreement very quickly because <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, it, it, it is a cross-partisan uh, real challenge for British Columbia. Uh, Todd, I just really want to thank you for joining us on BC Polytalk today, taking the time out, and we wish you the best of, of luck uh, with your constituency work and serving the constituents in your riding in Kamloops. Well, th thank you very much, uh, Bill and Daniel, and uh, it was a real pleasure to, to speak with both of you today. And I, I hope you and, and everyone uh, uh, watching and listening uh, stays well as we get through this, uh, this COVID pandemic. We're going to get through it. Uh, we're going to get through it together. Uh, but let's uh, be smart out there and uh, all the best to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so much to uh, Todd Stone, the MLA for Kamloops South Thompson, and uh, we'll be right back. BC Polytalk thanks Harbor Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. So Bill, that was an interesting discussion with Todd Stone, MLA for uh, Kamloops South Thompson, a former leadership candidate for the BC Liberal Party, one of the younger folks uh, within the caucus. Um, very articulate fellow, knows his file. He's very passionate about uh, things like municipal affairs and housing. He kind of um, gave us a little bit of a sneak peek, a little bit into some of, I think, the strategy that's going to be coming out in the coming weeks. I think two things that caught my attention. One was the fact that I think they're going to focus a lot on the economy. And I think that is where the public is likely going to give them the most uh, wide berth in terms of being able to criticize. So I think that you're going to see a lot uh, more and hear a lot more from the BC Liberals over the coming months just based on his his comment as well as just the, the whole pivot that they're going to have to do as a caucus in terms of getting out of, of uh, essentially working all collaboratively to moving more into a, a little bit of an area of public criticism. So it'll be fascinating to watch that. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think what we're going to see with the opposition, I mean, really, the Green Party is also an opposition party, even though they are propping the government up uh, currently. But uh, I think you're going to see that they will focus on areas where the government is seen to be or is, in fact, deficient in the COVID-19 response and the economic recovery response and sort of lay back on other things. So they're going to have to really gauge the public opinion and public mood, because as you've said, and we said in the interview, there, there's no tolerance of the public right now 
now for bashing the other parties or bashing the government. Uh, that is just not going to, and I don't think that's going to change in the immediate future. But I think there is room for the opposition to criticize the government where they feel measures that are taken are not sufficient. We saw a bit of that today in a very mild form. Yeah, and I um, I was pleased to hear his comments. I know he's got that private members bill on the strata insurance, and it's something you and I have chatted about on, on a number of occasions. Um, it is unfortunate that uh, due to the circumstances with the pandemic that so many issues have kind of fallen off the radar, but so many people are still being impacted. And and although uh, I think he admitted there that his private members bill isn't going to solve everything, it is kind of a step, I think, forward. Uh, but we did hear the Minister of Finance a few weeks ago stand up in the House and say that there is work being done on this, but mm -hmm. really has gone silent uh, and as have, I'm sure, a number of issues kind of not made it on the top of the radar. Well, as you and I know, anything that isn't urgent, urgent, urgent COVID-19 uh, just has to be put on the back burner temporarily. But uh, you know, how long is temporarily? And I, I agree with you. I think there that's one of the issues, and you and I are both affected by it, as we've said before. But there are many other issues uh, of, of significant importance to British Columbians that are not happening. And, you know, uh, there's all sorts of things which will hopefully get into in the next few shows before we close for the season. But, uh, you know, we're talking uh, elective surgeries. Um, people just need medical procedures, dental procedures that have all been stalled temporarily. Uh, dry cleaning. I can't get my dry cleaning. Um, when can I get my dry cleaning back? So uh, I can put on a, a different shirt, shirt and suit for the show. So. Yeah, and what's been interesting too, Bill, is I think Dr. Henry raised it uh, this week. It'll be last week now when people get to see this show. But she was raising the whole issue of so many businesses that have actually closed voluntarily. Dr. Henry actually has not closed them. But yeah. they're sitting empty and they're not sure what to do to reopen. And it'll be critical for the government and Dr. Henry to get out there and to begin discussing what it will take to reopen that economy, even in places that don't necessarily need to be closed due to government regulation. You also hit on another, I think, critical point, and that is around the issue of the acute care, elective surgeries that have been canceled, where I think now well over 20,000 surgeries have been canceled. Um, I, there's been articles now starting to come out in the paper where people are saying my spouse has died because they couldn't get access to uh, to the appropriate medical treatment during COVID. So, um, you know, that's going to start emerging now. We're going to start seeing people who are saying, let's go, like, let's move and, and let's get on this. And the government's handling of that second phase of this COVID um, crisis is going to be absolutely critical to their re-election uh, next year. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that's where we'll see the rubber hit the road in terms of more opposition. I think Todd Stone hinted at that at least. And so it'll, it'll be a fascinating uh, period coming up because I think getting back to economic recovery mode is a bigger challenge for the NDP government. I think it'll be more challenging. There'll be more criticism. Uh, we're going to see the business community, which has been um, fairly quiet and supportive of the government, and rightly so in my view, uh, given the measures that have been taken and the way we've come through this. But, you know, everyone will be in a rush to, to get back to business start making money, start paying rent and buying things. And I think that will be even more challenging for the government as a whole, uh, less on the uh, on the shoulders of Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix and more on the entire government. Bill Tillman, it has been a pleasure to be with you again this week. I look forward to be back next week with our another our next guest. Uh, it's, uh, all, it seems like it's all COVID these days, but uh, eventually we're going to get to other topics, I'm sure, before the season's over. Thanks, Daniel, and uh, stay safe, everybody. Stay safe. See you soon. And remember, you can find everything at our website, bcpolytalk.ca. You can also chase us down on Spotify and iTunes for podcasts. You can find us on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find links there. You can go to YouTube and see the show.